evidence and answers. During our last time together, Pat was deep into a discussion regarding Iran, ISIS, and its connection to Israel. What does God's Word, the Bible, have to say about these groups and their connection to Israel? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. With the conclusion to this exciting series on Iran, ISIS, and Israel is our host, Pat Zukran. Kush. Kush is present-day Sudan and northern Ethiopia, and Put is the modern-day Libya. Now, the leader of this coalition is Gog and Magog. They're between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, so they're up north. And so they would be the present-day nation of Russia. Now, these are just the key nations that are mentioned here. There's probably smaller nations as well that will be associated in this battle. But the Bible mentions these nations here specifically because these are probably the major or the key players led by Gog and Magog. That would be present-day Russia. Now, this coalition will rise and march against the nation of Israel sometime early before the tribulation begins. Now, what is also noteworthy in this prophecy is in verse 8 of chapter 38. It mentions that the people of Israel will have been gathered from many nations throughout the world and regathered to the nation of Israel. Verse 8 reads, After many days you will be mustered in the latter years, you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel. And so this prophecy talks about the Jewish people who have been regathered and restored to the land of Israel, coming from many nations. Now, some believe there's a popular interpretation there that the regathering, this regathering talked about in Ezekiel, they believe it to be the return from Babylon, from the Babylonian exile, which occurred in 500 B.C. But this was a return from one country. Here, the regathering of spoken in this passage is from many countries, and it seems to better fit the return of the Jews to Israel that occurred in 1948, where Jews from all over the world were being regathered to the nation of Israel. Now, since the creation of Israel, the Muslim nations have refused to acknowledge her as a nation and her right to exist. And there have been several key wars by the Muslim nations upon the nation of Israel since her return. Here are just a few of the significant ones. The first, the day after they were regathered and declared a nation by the United Nations, five Arab nations, Jordan, Egypt, Syria, Iraq, and Lebanon, attacked Israel the day after she was formed. And this is the famous War of Independence. Israel hardly having much of an army there the day after they were formed. It looked like they were doomed to be destroyed. However, they were able to fight off their foes and win a great victory that day. And it was declared as a great disaster by the Islamic world. Well, in 1967, there was the famous Six-Day War where the nations of Egypt, Jordan, and Syria, funded and armed by the Russians, attacked the nation of Israel. And in an amazing way, in just six days, instead of losing ground, Israel recaptured the city of Jerusalem and also other territory and ended up expanding her territory to the north, to the east, 
and to the south. And then in 1973, there is the famous Battle of Yom Kippur, where nine Arab nations and four African countries in a coalition attacked the nation of Israel on the holy day of Yom Kippur. It looked like Israel was doomed until finally the, the United States stepped forward and came to the aid of the nation of Israel, and Israel was able to defeat their enemies and repulse the attack from all of these nations. Now, in each of these significant wars, and there have been many others throughout the years as well, but in each of these wars, there was an alliance of Islamic nations funded and armed by the Russians that sought the destruction of the nation of Israel. Now, in the Ezekiel 38 prophecy in the future, in this future battle that is to come, there will be an alliance of these Middle Eastern nations. And if it is to happen soon, it would be an alliance of these Islamic nations led by Gog and Magog, which would be the nation of Russia. And so we see a pattern of this kind of coalition occurring there in the Middle East, seeking the destruction of Israel. And it has consistently been the Russians who have armed and funded this Islamic coalition that attacked the nation of Israel. Israel. Now, in this battle, there is an uh, alliance of these present-day Islamic nations led by Gog and Magog that will come upon the nation of Israel. Now, according to this passage, they will come and attack the nation of Israel from the north, from the east, and from the south. From all sides, they will come and attack the nation of Israel, as was done previously in the series of battles I just talked about earlier. However, the result of their attack is that God will show himself to be real to his people and to the people of the world and will miraculously deliver the nation of Israel. It says here in verse 16 of chapter 38, You will come against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days, I will bring you against my land. The nations may know me when through you, O Gog, I will vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Presently, the Muslim nations that surround Israel seek the destruction of Israel. And if more radical, hardline Islamic regimes take over, Israel will be in great danger. And several of these nations, we know, fund terrorist groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, terrorist organizations created for the sole purpose of the destruction of Israel. And we know that Russia has funded many of these nations and these organizations they have funded them financially and provided them with military arms. Robert McLean is a research associate at the Center for Security Policy in Washington, D.C., and he writes, From Algeria and Venezuela to Syria and Iran, Moscow displays few reservations to arming any regime that can help fuel its defense industry. Just recently, Fox News and other news agencies reported that on July 24th of 2015, Qasim Soleimani, the commander of the Iranian Quds Forces, recently, after agreeing with the United States on a nuclear deal, this man recently visited Moscow to meet with senior Russian leaders, Russian Defense Minister Sergei Soigu and President Vladimir Putin. Despite a travel ban and a UN Security Council resolution barring him from leaving Iran, Soleimani was identified as a terrorist in 2005 and was responsible for the death of hundreds 
of United States citizens. Yet despite the ban from the United Nations and the treaty recently made to give Iran nuclear technology with the United States, this man was discovered to, to have gone to Russia and met with the Russian leaders. So you can see how Russia remains involved in working with these countries, not only in providing military arms, but funding their military, these regimes bent on the destruction of the nation of Israel. Now, the events of today are not the fulfillment of the Ezekiel prophecy or the prophecies of Revelation. So beware of those who teach that this present-day event is the fulfillment of the prophecies. But these may be significant in that they are precursors or they set the stage for the fulfillment of prophecy, of biblical prophecy, especially this one, the Ezekiel 38 and 39 prophecy. Now, these nations will form a coalition led by Gog and Magog, or the present-day Russian, will attack the nation of Israel. But God intervenes and delivers the nation in a miraculous way. Now, there are some who teach that this battle has already taken place. But if you read the passage and you do a study of the battle, you'll realize that no one in history has a battle like this taken place with this kind of deliverance from God. So this is a battle that will take place in the future. And God's deliverance is described in Ezekiel 38 from chapter 17 all the way into chapter 39. God's miraculous deliverance of the nation of Israel is described here in the battle of Gog and Magog. Now when the armies reach Israel, God's anger will be aroused against Gog. It states in verse 18, But on that day, the day that Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord, my wrath will be roused in my anger. God will cause a great earthquake, which will cause pandemonium between the invading armies, and they will end up turning on one another. Verses 19 through 21 states, For in my jealousy and my blazing wrath, I declare on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep on the ground and all the people who are on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence and the mountains shall be thrown down and the cliffs shall fall and every wall shall tumble to the ground and I will summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains declares the Lord God every man's sword will be against his brother with pestilence and bloodshed I will enter into judgment with him and I will rain upon him and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur. So I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. God will rain down torrents of rain, hail and burning sulfur. And the armies will be decimated and the invading armies then the bodies of those in the invading armies will become food for the animals. Chapter 39, verse 4, it states, You shall fall on the mountains of Israel, you and your hordes, and the peoples who are with you. I will give you to birds of prey of every sort, and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. And not only Israel, but all the world will see the hand of God protecting the nation of Israel. Verse 7 states, and my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let my holy name be profaned any more. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. 
and Israel will then plunder those who came upon her and use their weapons for fuel for the next several years during the years of tribulation. And through all this, God will teach Israel that he is holy and will not be profaned by their sins. And also the nations will see that God is holy and he is indeed the Holy One of Israel and his name shall not be profaned. Now the decimation of the armies is so great It'll take seven months, according to verses 11 and 12, seven months to bury the dead. And in fact, the road east of Jerusalem will be blocked by the graves of those who have died in this great battle. Now, as a result of this great battle, several significant things will result from this. Chapter 39, verses 21 through 29 explain the effects of of the battle, the results that will occur as a result of God's miraculous deliverance of the nations of Israel. First, Israel and the surrounding nations of the world will recognize God's intervention. In verse 21 of chapter 39, it states, And I, the Lord, will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid upon them. And there will be a great spiritual revival in the land of Israel as Israel sees their deliverance and the miraculous hand of God. Many Jewish people will return and give their lives to the Lord and there'll be a great spiritual revival in the land of Israel. Verses 22 through 29 states, The house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward, and the nations shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they dealt so treacherously with me that I hid my face from them and gave them into the land of their adversaries and they fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and their transgressions and hid my face from them. Therefore, says the Lord God, now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel and I will be jealous for my holy name. They shall forget their shame and all the treachery they have practiced against me when they dwell securely in their land with none to make them afraid. There will be a great spiritual revival and the Jewish people will return to faith in the Lord. Now that hasn't happened today. If you go to Israel today, Israel is a very secular nation. But as a result of this remarkable deliverance of God, from the nations that sought to destroy Israel. As a result of this miraculous deliverance, Israel will recognize the Lord and there will be a great spiritual revival in the land. And also, the victory will hasten the return of more Jews to the land of Israel. Verse 29 states, And I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord. There will be a great national repentance God will pour out His Spirit upon the nation of Israel so that even through this event, God's will shall be accomplished and God's glory and justice and holiness will once again be exalted. So we see that through this battle and throughout history, God has judged the sins of mankind and has upheld his holiness, his righteousness, and his justice. 
And so, though he may allow man's sinful practices to continue, eventually one day, God will indeed execute his justice and judge mankind upon for their sin and judge the nations that seek the destruction of Israel. We see that throughout history and throughout the Bible. The flood, the stories of Sodom and Gomorrah, Herod in Acts chapter 12, where God judged sinful mankind should instill within us a healthy respect of God whose justice and holiness will always be honored. God will one day vindicate his holiness and justice and judge sin and those who oppose him. So to focus on a God of love and kindness only is to develop an unhealthy and imbalanced view of God. If holiness and righteousness and justice is not a part of your concept of God and not a part of the teaching that's going on in our churches today, we are developing an unhealthy and imbalanced view of God. And the study of prophecy reminds us that God is indeed a holy, a righteous, and a just God. And one day he shall judge the nations and judge sin and judge evil and should instill within us a very healthy respect or what the Bible calls the fear of God. Well, this concludes our series on Iran, ISIS, and Israel. But as we conclude our series, what are some life lessons we can learn from the things that we have studied in this series? Well, here are a few. First of all, we need to pray for our leaders and pray for leaders who are wise in dealing with the Middle Eastern Muslim nations. One of the things that they need to do is they need to be able to identify the enemy, their ideology, and deal with them wisely. One of the key concerns we should have is that our leadership has not been willing to identify the enemy. The enemy is radical Islam, and that's something our leadership has not been willing to name and identify. This has been noted by several key leaders there in our, in our federal legislature. Senator Kelly Ayotte of New Hampshire, she writes, It very much matters because you have to define your enemy, she stated. The administration should spend less time on political correctness and more time on a strategy. Representative Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii states this, By his, she's referring to President Obama, by his not using this term Islamic extremism and clearly identifying our enemies, it raised a whole lot of questions in exactly what Congress will be authorizing. She stated, unless you understand who your enemy is, unless you clearly identify your enemy, then you cannot come up with a very effective strategy to defeat that enemy. So one of the things we need to do is to pray for our leaders to be wise in dealing with these Islamic nations and to identify who the enemy is and their ideology so we can develop effective strategy in defeating the enemy, such as ISIS and other radical Islamic groups. Second, Islam is the greatest threat to the free world and radical Islamic groups must be defeated militarily. These are not groups that you can... <laughs> negotiate with, it seems like 
some in our administration have the idea that if we play nice with them, they're going to play nice with us. No, their goal is to establish a worldwide caliph and to bring the entire world under Sharia law. So their goal is not to negotiate and just live peacefully. Their goal is world domination, to bring the entire world under the rule of the Islamic caliph and to instill Sharia law throughout the world. This is not an ideology that will tolerate unbelief and seeks to instill Sharia law in the lands in which they conquer. And so we need to defeat them militarily, but also not just militarily. We need to defeat them ideologically. We need to show that Islam is indeed a false religion, a false system. And the truth is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Christians throughout the world, especially in the Middle East, need to be able to articulate a powerful defense of the Christian faith to show where Islamic ideology is false and that indeed truth is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the person of Jesus Christ. So pray for our Christian brothers and sisters in the Middle East. Many of them are being persecuted now in the Middle East, in the lands of Afghanistan, Syria, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and Iran. But pray for our brothers and sisters who are out there courageously living for Jesus Christ. Pray that they would continue to be courageous and proclaim the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ there throughout the Middle East. Third, understanding biblical prophecy gives us an understanding of the world events and how they fit into God's plan. Fourth, God is in control and working world events to fulfill his purpose. So though they may seem chaotic and out of control to us, this is somehow fitting in to God's ultimate plan. The things going on in the Middle East aren't catching God by surprise. God is somehow orchestrating world events to fulfill his purpose and plan for the end of the age. These things are not catching God by surprise. He remains in control, working to bring about his purpose and the fulfillment of Bible prophecy and bringing his plans to pass. And we know that according to Scripture, we learn God will be triumphant in the end. His word shall come true. Justice will be executed. The righteous will be rewarded. And evil will indeed be judged. God is in control and will be triumphant in the end. And so we can have hope in the midst of a world that seems in turmoil. Even in the darkest times, the Bible prophecy teaches us that indeed God is in control and one day he will have his day and judgment will come. Evil shall be judged and the righteous shall be vindicated and God will be triumphant in the end. And so we can have hope even in the midst of times of suffering and a world which seems in absolute turmoil. God is in control bringing his purpose to pass and he shall be triumphant in the end. So I hope this series on Iran, ISIS, and Israel was informative and helpful to you. And remember, the things we see going on in the Middle East, we shouldn't look at with despair. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's teaching. If you found this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. 
Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, click on the Donate button on the lower right-hand side of our homepage. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.